0: Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week a little bit of a break from our usual weekly news coverage. Because of some scheduling situations in my life, I have pre-recorded the episodes on the Thursday episodes specifically for this week and next week. I'm going to be instead continuing my Faces of Fascism series I'll get back to chronicling the weekly right-wing news internationally in June. Don't worry. Today, I'm continuing, like I said, the Faces of Fascism series, a series that looks into the current leaders of the right-wing internationally. And today, I am talking about the current prime minister of India and arguably the most powerful right-wing leader in the world today. This guy is Narendra Modi. Modi, like I said, is the current prime minister of India and among the leading right-wing people in the world. He is the Prime Minister of India under the right-wing and fascist-adjacent BJP. Narendra Modi was born in 1950 in Gujarat, which is a western coastal province of India. He was born to a family of grocers. His family, the Modi's, belongs to a caste community that in India is defined as an OBC, an other backward class. This is a category that was created in India in the 1990s to refer to people whose caste or community or tribal affiliation is looked down on in Indian society, but which is not like at the very, very, very lowest rung of the caste ladder. This meant that Modi's upbringing was relatively lower class, but not like total deprivation. Modi joined the RSS, the Rashtriya Swayamsevak Sangh. Uh, my sincerest apologies to people who speak Hindi, Urdu, or other South Asian languages. He joined the RSS at eight years old. The RSS, for those of you who don't know, is arguably the most successful fascist or fascist adjacent organizations in the entire world after World War II. The RSS is a Hindu nationalist political and paramilitary organization that has successfully integrated itself into Indian politics through charity and outreach. It was founded by hardcore Hindu nationalists who promote an ideology that they call Hindutva, which essentially refers to Hindu nationalism. They oppose a vision of India that is pluralistic and multicultural, this being the specific Indian vision, the the specific idea of an independent India promoted by Mohandas Gandhi, a.k.a. Mahatma Gandhi, who is the leading independence leader in Indian history. The RSS specifically opposes the influence and presence of Muslims in India. They believe that they have no place in India or in Indian history and see them as sort of like foreign invaders, not unlike the foreign invaders that left in order to make India independent, you know, the British. This is, of course, a lot more complicated than that, right? You know, in addition to, yes, being the people who the last people who conquered India before the British did. Muslims are also an integral part of South Asian cultural life and have been for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, this is not like some new colonial imposition. Islam has long been a part of South Asia. The RSS disputes this and instead tries to present the entire Muslim history of India as one big imposition. They also integrate themselves into Indian society through charity, through education, and through like social work, especially among youth. And that is how Modi himself encountered them. Modi rose in the ranks of the RSS and there met some of the leaders of the group, ensuing people who would eventually become the leaders of the BJP in Gujarat. It was also at this time when he was 18 years old that Modi was in an arranged marriage. His bride was 17 years old, He was 18. Like I said, this was relatively common for people in his particular caste group at the time. He then, though, immediately left her and abandoned the marriage. He covered it up for decades and just kind of didn't talk about it. He claims also that they never had sex, and so therefore he was eligible to be part of sort of like purity groups inside of the RSS that depended on people not having had sex. After he abandoned this marriage, Modi wandered around northern India for several years, and there is not a whole bunch of information about exactly what happened to him at this time. He doesn't really talk about it. So, I don't know. Who knows? Eventually, he landed in the Indian city of Ahmedabad and returned to the RSS, and he was essentially a political apparatchik ever since then. He then joined the Baharatyjana Sangh, the political wing of the RSS at the time, the BJS. By 1971, he was a full-time campaign worker for the RSS and the BJS. At this time, he also attended a college to get a degree in political science in 1978. He then eventually got a master's degree in 1983 in a distance learning course, although both of these degrees are disputed. He may or may not have graduated, and there's also a dispute about whether the institutions he claims to have attended actually offered the degrees that he claimed to have received. So... Uh, That's a little bit in question. However, his political activism at this time is not in question. In 1975, India entered a state of emergency. The then-ruling Indian National Congress government by Indira Gandhi, actually not of relation to Mohandas Gandhi, uh, declared a state of emergency, and many opposition groups were banned and their activities were stopped. This included the RSS because, you know, the RSS is a right-wing nationalist organization and also a former member of the RSS was the person who actually assassinated Mohandas Gandhi. So Modi and the rest of the RSS went underground for some time in the mid and late 1970s. However, by the 1980s and especially by the late 1980s, the rss was able to come back you know out from underground and modi became one of its leading lights especially in his home province of gujarat by the late 80s and early 90s the old political wing of the rss reformed uh, after a series of mergers and collapses into its present form the bjp the Bharati Janta party Modi was an important leader of the BJP, especially, like I said, in Gujarat in the early 1990s, where he continued to rise in the BJP's local leadership. In 2001, this leadership was fully, fully realized as he became the leader of the party in Gujarat after a scandal involving the former BJP leader there. This means that in 2002, Narendra Modi was chief minister of Gujarat, essentially this sort of like prime minister of the province. He was the chief minister of Gujarat during the Gujarat riots. This is an event of mass death in India, and specifically mass religious violence in India. What occurred was that a train burned. On February 27th of 2002, the train burning killed over 60 people. The train was mostly populated by Hindu pilgrims who were returning from visiting a religious site. Modi, as the chief minister of Gujarat, then got like on the media, and claimed that the incident was caused by local Muslim militants. He had no evidence for this. It was just him being a Hindu nationalist that made him say this. In response, wings of the BJP and other far-right-wing organizations in Gujarat called for a general strike in the area and also began serious anti-Muslim violent riots. These riots resulted in anywhere between the deaths of 1,000 and 2,000 people, depending on if you believe the provincial government, that is Modi's government, or international observers respectively. About 150,000 people were driven away from their homes because of this violence, and the deaths were vastly disproportionately, like, like almost twice as many deaths were suffered by Muslim people as opposed to Hindu people in this violence. Modi has essentially tried to sweep this under the rug and not let people talk about it because, you know, this means that he kind of presided over a genocide while he was the chief minister of Gujarat. As chief minister of Gujarat, he continued to push for what he called anti-terrorism perspectives in the government throughout his leadership but he also tried to distance himself in the wake of the Gujarat riots. He tried to distance himself from the message of Hindutva as being his primary message, and instead turned towards economic modernization as his message. This led him to increasing heights in the BJP's leadership, and in 2013, he became the BJP's candidate for the prime ministership of India. This meant that he was finally elected as the prime minister of India in 2014, in the lower house election of India. There was a serious focus on him as an individual leadership candidate, which was relatively unusual for India, which is, is you know, it's a parliamentary democracy, right? It, it's it's not about electing any particular person to the prime ministership, it's about electing parties, right? And parties have leaders. The BJP in his government was trying not to focus on hindu nationalism, like I said, but on his neoliberal economic policies, which people at the time run it to vote for. And in 2014, he won with 31% of the vote and the BJP got a majority of the seats in India. This made Modi the first Indian prime minister born after independence from the British. Remember, he was born in 1950. Immediately after seizing power in India, he engaged in a series of power grabs and power centralization, pretty standard politics for somebody who has become the prime minister of a country there was a major growth in Hindu nationalist activities after Modi's becoming the prime minister of India. This is, again, no surprise. For example, in India, there were open, open celebrations of the assassin of Mohandas Gandhi, again, somebody who was a member of the RSS. Modi's election has also led to increased ties between the BJP and the RSS, which were technically separate and have been for several decades although effectively they are sort of like estranged wings of the same nationalist movement in addition to his neoliberal economic policies modi has engaged in clearly and very openly anti-muslim legislation such as specifically one that opens citizenship's paths to people who are not muslim but who are south asian and live in other neighboring south asian countries like for example nepal bangladesh and Pakistan this is the first time in indian independent history that a law about citizenship refers to religion this of course in a country that is specifically and was very intentionally founded on religious pluralism you know on the idea that everybody who is in any religion that is present in south asia christian jain buddhist hindu muslim etc that they would all be welcome in india in terms of foreign policy, Modi has very much positioned himself as a a leader, as of this sort of like populist, fervent international right wing, very, very, very much pro-Trump, and also very, very, very much pro Jair Bolsonaro. They all participated in serious democratic backsliding, and this is one of Modi's biggest, biggest things, right? He is trying to maintain control of India, and he is doing so, by changing Indian laws, by changing Indian legislation, by making it harder and harder for people to unseat a currently serving prime minister. At the same time, though, Modi is an incredibly popular person in India. There is essentially no end in sight for his leadership of the Indian country. The most recent elections that he faced were extremely successful, And so he doesn't really have to face one for a while. And it's kind of, I don't know, it might be quite a long time until he is no longer the prime minister of that country. And whenever he is unseated, the legacy that he has created of unifying India under Hindu nationalism, as opposed to religious pluralism, will leave in its wake a trail of actual death in addition to discrimination, exclusion, and nationalism. And this is something that makes him firmly a member of the right-wing internationally. And again, it also makes him arguably one of the most successfully nationalist leaders of the 21st century. It also cements the RSS as, again, arguably the most successful of the right-wing organizations in the post-World War II world, although, of course, the RSS was founded long before World War II. All right. That was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism spelled out and all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15MinutesOfFascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at histoftheright. H-I-S-T of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and Fascism 15. All right, thanks very much, and I will talk to you next time.